It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Hey, everybody. Welcome to It Never Rains on this podcast. I'm Hithliday. I'm the managing editor for Addicted to Quack. It's a website. Joining me this week is one of the great ATQ writers, Kevin Phipps. How you doing? I am doing fantastic. I woke up this morning and Dan Lanning was still the head coach of the Oregon football team. Uh, yeah, you know, I, I saw some Washington wag who, or maybe it was USC, who was like, you know, I've I've never seen before, you know, a coach make a video about not leaving a football team. You know, this is corny. And I'm like, I, I've never seen a coach before where that was a news item, but it is at Oregon. Um, so, you know, uh, it, uh, how how strange that Lincoln Riley did not need to make a video about him staying, you know, or that there was an entire 24 hour news cycle consumed with, you know, Lincoln Riley, uh, you know, not staying or staying or not staying. USC. How peculiar. Um, <laughs> well, you go, what, seven and six. People don't exactly mm-hmm. come beating down the door. Yeah uh well corny or not uh that that uh, <laughs> you know very dan lanning-esque to turn uh you know duck fretting about uh him potentially leaving the job into a recruiting tool um and then promptly turns around and bags the number one transfer portal target you know evan stewart the wide receiver out of texas a&m uh, you know, adding to my list of dudes I got to do film study on, uh, you know, to, to publish a little later um, in in the month or maybe in February. I'm not sure what exactly the schedule that is going to be. Um, but it's an all football podcast for us, uh, uh, for you and me, uh, Kevin, since apparently you're allergic to writing about basketball. <laughs> you know, it's just become a game at this point. I want to see how deep into the season I can go without, without writing about basketball. Well, you know, softball starts up on uh, on February eighth. You, you know, you you really only need to to hold out for one more month. <laughs> I, I can do this. I, I um, track and field next week. <laughs> you wrote up, uh, uh, among other things, you wrote up uh, all the players who have who who poten- Well, basically, there were something like sixteen players who were getting early draft deals right uh, off of the football team. You know, essentially, players who they hadn't run out of eligibility. Um, they were eligible, you know, because they the the NFL. They won't take you until you're three years out of high school. Uh, so they're eligible to go to the draft, but they were also eligible to return to college. So they're and, you know, the NFL might have wanted them. So they were, you know, about 16 of those dudes. Um, we have, I believe, gotten confirmation on like 15 of them, uh, depending on, you know, how you count Marcus Harper. Uh 
And so we just had you write up like, hey, what's the status of those 15 dudes? Um, and it's pretty good. Two to one, right, for coming back to Oregon. For oh, yeah. And uh, <laughs> yeah. And there's actually some that haven't made formal announcements still in the wings. Um, yeah. We'll, we'll see how that pans out but yeah yeah there, there's a couple like marcus harper for example who like i'm not sure what his draft eval would be I, th I think there's one or two like dante manning for example is technically in this category but i'm not sure you know i'm not sure what his draft eval would be either so i'm not sure where you know he hasn't released a tweet or anything that says i'm definitely coming back but then like i'm not sure if that tweet would have been necessary yeah, you know because <laughs> he wasn't a, yeah i don't think cfl is a draft even that they give out yeah i don't know well he wasn't a starter this year it's, it's unusual for a guy to to try to go pro for you know after a season in which he wasn't a starter you know no slight to him or anything it's just yeah. what the situation was uh uh a strong chance that he is a starter for oregon next year um although i don't know you know they they did take a transfer uh cam alexander from from utsa so the second straight year i'll be doing utsa film study um anyway uh <laughs> uh let's run down uh, uh some of the guys um who have indeed confirmed uh through social media that they're coming back to oregon next year sure uh, anybody you're particularly excited about i i mean tez johnson is, is like gonna probably be the headliner of the group coming back um but for me it's actually gonna be jeffrey balsa really interesting yeah. why do you say that uh you know he started out as a safety he bounced around he found a starting spot in the middle and just every play and you watch you watch more film than i do i'm sure but I, I watch every every play when it's coming to a conclusion or shortly thereafter you see number two he runs to the football every single play and if he did wasn't in on the tackle or breaking up a pass he is hyping up whoever did he, uh, he is a yeah. quarterback he is a like the biggest champion of our defense you know emotionally when he's on the field well, what I can tell you from from watching that film is, uh, I mean, a couple different things. One is that, yeah, definitely quarterback of the defense. Like he's calling out the plays, like he's identifying and and signaling to his teammates and so forth. Like I, I mean, to the to the extent that I need help identifying the play, like <laughs> I, I'm looking at Jeff. <laughs> you know, I'm like, oh, thanks, thanks, buddy. Um, and. Uh, and and I can also tell you from charting, like when they rotate him out, like there's a, I mean, there's a notable drop off in defensive performance, you know, when they rotate him out, like, which is, which is interesting because like his actual like personal grades in terms of tackling um haven't really and, and like shedding block like he's still the same kind of undersized guy like he's not built like a traditional middle linebacker right no, not you know like which like nobody is gonna be in a mint defensive structure the whole point of a mint defensive structure is that they're built more like safeties because they're primarily pass stoppers that's the, the whole thesis of uh, of this defensive structure is stop the pass first so of course your linebackers play the pass first and they're built like pass stoppers and they only come down and stop the run when it's you know absolutely clear that it is a run um so that sort of 
you know, that that's your baseline. But then on top of that, like he's just still I mean, he's he we're going to talk about, you know, in the next segment, some of these recruiting guys. So guys like Platt, you know, who really are built like, you know, real linebackers, you know, not converted safeties like he's clearly converted. Safety. Yeah. Um, Him and Hill both were both. Of them yeah, exactly. Big time um, backers were converted safeties. Whereas a guy like, you know, Justin Jacobs, you know, is a line. Now he was an outside linebacker in a four three system, which is more like a nickel back. Um, but he's like six four and he'll really hurt you, you know, when he I mean, not literally tries to break your bones or anything but like it, you feel it and jeff bossa like he's still like on my tally sheet his rate of being able to like get off of an offensive lineman's block or or be able to like squeeze down on a, a you know on a, a gap scheme or you know just bring down the dude instantly on first contact like it's still the same you know pretty modest rates as when he back in 2021 when he was sort of forced into action Mm -hmm. you know as as a freshman and and freshly converted safety to be a linebacker like physically he hasn't you know suddenly grown six inches and and 50 pounds of muscle but you know the and, and so it is it is absolutely a tribute and like on paper evidence of leadership that the defensive the overall defensive performance grades have a notable tick down by about like two points in 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 success rate when he's off when he rotates off the field Mm -hmm. because you don't have your as effective quarterback of the defense on your field like that's that's his value there's also the fact that you know he's in the middle he's been in the program you know for years <laughs> compared to most of the yeah. other guys you know we had uh, a transfer corner a transfer safety another transfer safety though he was in his second year transfer linebackers trans you know freshmen on the d line we had a lot of new pieces and he was that you know that gel that held it all together and when yeah. you take him out you know as you're moving things around him people didn't necessarily have that person it's like, Hey, this guy knows what he's doing to look to. So it, it trickles down to other people not getting that tip. Like, Hey, he's, he's going left or Hey, he's, you know, coming out to block you, whatever, whatever the, you know, defensive signals are um, makes their job harder. So. And then next to him, the other, you know, likely starter uh, in 2024, Justin Jacobs, um, who had missed, well, he missed all of the 2022 season at Iowa with an injury. And then I'm, I'm not sure if it was the same injury hanging over or a, a new one or what, but for whatever reason, he was also held out for like the first seven weeks in 2023. Um, mm-hmm. uh, or So he, we didn't, he didn't make his debut until week eight against Wazoo, um, but he graded out very, very well on my tally yeah. sheet and he's declared that he's coming back. Um, and like, you know, like I said, you know, he was playing the Sam in a 4-3 defense, which uh, is at Iowa. Uh, th- that that guy plays way outside the box. He like it's much more analogous to being like a nickelback in a in a in a in a five defensive back system. Mm-hmm. Um, You're a uh, third safety. Yeah, and, and so like it, when he was when Oregon was like, no, I'm serious. We're converting him to being an inside linebacker. At first, I was like, hmm, I'm not really sure I buy that. But then. Were like first of all, 
well, actually second of all in the spring game when I literally saw it with my own eyes, but then actually earlier than that when I was like, oh, wait, I can move these domino pieces or, or puzzle pieces around. And, oh, wait, that actually makes sense. I get it now. Like, I get what they're they're mintifying the defense by doing that. Like, yeah, he's exactly the body type that they want for the mint defensive structure where, you know, he's you know, t big and tall, long limbs. He m runs laterally, you know, sideline to sideline, because that's what you need to do. Like, you know, with the, the mint structure, the whole point is that you're, you're dropping your linebackers back as though every play is a, you treat every play as though it's a pass mm -hmm. until it's like innocent to proven guilty. It's like pass until proven a run. Um, uh, you know, because just the, the basic philosophy is the pass can hurt you more than a run. So treat every play like it's a pass until you prove it's a run. And if that means that you're giving up like a little bit more in the run game than you than you would if you were just instantly, you know, mm -hmm. uh, smashing the run, then so be it. Like, I, you know, I, I don't care you about can still give game. up three yards a run. Yeah. Yeah. Force, force like, down. Yeah. Right. So that th that was just a little refresher about why, you know, the 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 ducks are looking for bodies like that who don't look like the sort of fire plugs with neck rolls, you know, to be their inside linebackers. Um, and so, yeah, Justin Jacobs doesn't look like a fire plug with a you know, with neck roll. You know, he looks like a long, lanky praying mantis, you know, type. Uh, mm -hmm. And yeah, no, it's really great that he's um, come back. He graded out really, really well. And, I, you know, I'm I, I really doubt that he's got any competition for a starting spot uh, uh, next year. Um, you know, I, I, I'm 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 very certain it's going to be Bassa and and Jacobs, and it's going to give you know Platt, who's like really ideal, and, and like this great linebacker class that's coming in in 2024, oh, yeah. which we're going to talk about in the next segment. Like all those guys are going to have you know time time to learn. Like none of them are going to be pressed into action. Just yeah, the pipeline. That's what you want. You you know, you don't want to be in a situation like Oregon was in in 2021 where it was like well we got to start playing guys you know these guys as freshmen like 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 Keith Brown and 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 Jeffrey Bossa and so forth like mm -hmm. and that's the situation they're in because they're you know their starting linebackers are coming back even though they could have gone to the NFL um let's stay on the defensive side I want to talk about Jordan Birch yeah let's that uh, uh what a what a I mean just the, the Pac-12 did not have a better like run stopper off the edge like literally I, i've charted the entire pack 12 like the they they the, there may have been a better uh uh pass rusher off the edge you know like ucla mm -hmm. maybe had uh, one or two guys who were better but like uh but in terms of you know setting the edge stopping the run penetrating uh to to generate tackles for loss and just absolutely humiliating um uh tackles <laughs> and tight ends uh, uh for for runs that were trying to get to the outside like nobody did it better than Jordan yeah. Birch like we need to start charting pancakes by defensive ends because <laughs> because yeah. I saw uh Mateo Birch at a uh oh goodness that was it I think he's technically the linebacker Tuoti just yeah. absolutely bodying some tackles 
uh yeah no oregon has i mean they're really stacking up you know talent at all of those like outside positions you know mateo ungulale and uh, tatum tuiati uh the guys that you mentioned um who of course were freshmen they they, they weren't going to the nfl yeah. but jordan birch you know jordan birch is going to be the old man because you know uh uh mace funa is, is out of eligibility mm. um and brandon dorless is obviously off to the uh you know popo amavai uh uh is finally out of eligibility he was a 2017 recruit you know yeah. he's he's finally out of eligibility he's <laughs> finished um, his doctorate uh, taki taki taimani's out of uh, out of eligibility you know so it's going to be um you know i i think that keon Ware hudson is coming back but other than him like it's a it's going to be a real young line mm-hmm. uh and and uh, or you know guys who play up on the the line of scrimmage you know inclusive of the the uh the outside line Backers. Um, you know, Jordan Birch is the old man, you, you know, so you know, leadership, yeah, that's that's definitely valuable. And um, and the other thing that was interesting about Birch is that you know, having studied his film at South Carolina for the two years that he was there as a five-star, like he was playing, you know, he was definitely playing as a skinny pass rusher or skinny-ish. And so I had him penciled in when he came to Oregon, I had him penciled in as losing weight and playing the Jack weak side OLB as a pass rusher. And instead Oregon had him bulk up and, uh, and play the, uh, the, 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 def- you know, the, the, the true defensive end spot, mm. you know, and, uh, I did not see that coming. I, I was really surprised by that. Like he was, he was playing at about 290 pounds, which like, Wow. You know, because he he was like at 275 and I was expecting him to slim down to like 265. And instead he bulked up by 15 pounds instead of losing 10 pounds. Uh, And like, oh, man, he really I bet. I mean, he moved well with it. Like, that's how athletic that guy is. He was, you know, at 290 really, really well. And like, I remember to seeing how that guy plays. He took an injury in um in the conference championship game. But we saw him again in the Fiesta Bowl. He had like a. A brace on his leg and he was playing you know with a um a snap count i think he even got like 10 snaps in but like we saw him you know it was he was he was playable you know and and you know obviously by by september you know you you fully expect him you know at 100 percent and a real leader for the oh yeah and and i i mean everything you just said but i think there were some people that were expecting more uh havoc in the pass rush from him that are gonna say well you know he, he wasn't wasn't as important as we thought he was going to be when he transferred in well that's just not the position like yeah it's because yeah that that's not where the pass rush comes from in in this defensive structure it comes from the weak side olb which is not the position they were having him play yeah but know, that I, but what i mean is some people were expecting exactly what you said is he was going to be that kind of designated pass rusher and, and instead he was just a massive uh force in the run game yeah so yeah and setting the edge on the opposite side yeah yeah exactly like the 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 pass rush comes from from guys who are pretty young um this year you know guys like uh you know the 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 olb you know the weak side old the jack olb position in this structure so guys like you know uh a marion winston tatum tuiati um uh, 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 a Blake purchase, uh, uh, uh Mateo Uyangalale, like all, all of these guys are freshmen, you know, mm-hmm. that they, they were relying on freshmen for their, for their pass rush. And like, they showed a lot of like, 
you know, reasons to expect those guys to be fantastic, you, you know, when they're, you know, when they're sophomores and juniors, when they're sophomores and juniors, but like, yeah, you know, Oregon's pass rush was not like a leader or anything, you know, uh, uh, this year. And uh, sort of the reason why is, is, you know, that, that, you know, that the guy who I expected it to be Jordan Birch, they instead had bulk up and play a different position. So like, okay, uh, you know, let's see how that works out in 2024. Yep. One more on the defensive side, Taishim Johnson back at safety. I think the safety position was probably the, the, I mean, I think this is great that Taishim Johnson came back. Like I, I, I like Taishim Johnson a lot as a deep safety. I really think he's got great instincts for the ball. I really think he's like one of the things that I really had a knock on him for, or maybe more accurately a knock on the stupid defensive system that Ole Miss was running. They don't run that system anymore. They got rid of DJ Dirk and he went from, oldness uh, 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 to to Texas A and M, and they hired Pete Golding from Alabama, and he implemented a different defensive system. But Johnson wasn't playing under Pete Golding; he was playing under Durkin. They Durkin was running a dime all the time defensive structure, which is really more like two nickels, and so he would have to play like an uh, like a fake linebacker, mm-hmm. like up in the box, and. He's just like, he's like 5'10", and and so he would be having to like, you know, take on like tight tight ends ends and like, and tackle big like SEC running backs. And it was like, and he was getting sort of blown off, you know, uh, or like take on offensive linemen in in certain plays. And I'm just like, Taishim Johnson, this isn't, this isn't like an appropriate use of his like body type. This is a stupid defensive structure, you know, come to Oregon, uh, right. Uh, where that won't be. And and so like, I didn't want to see him like playing in the box. It, on the other hand, like playing sort of outside the box and tackling, like he was really good at that this year. Like, and so when they played teams like Oregon state, um, that and teams like Liberty, um, and uh and a couple other teams that really when they run they want to run outside they're not like between the tackles running teams they're they're running outside running teams. i mean oregon state wants to run between the tackles too but they also want to run outside is what i'm trying to say and, and you need your safeties to make you know tackles uh when guys are running to the outside like he was really good at that and that was a a nice that was a nice change compared to what i was seeing as tackling problems at Ole Miss so like i wanted to say i wanted to give him a big thumbs up for like uh you know uh, uh something that i thought was sort of a bit of a problem in terms of tackling you know at Ole Miss although probably because of the defensive structure um there on the other hand like i thought that oregon safety rotation was screwy once they lost brian addison um uh you know because they were basically sort of forced into or maybe they weren't they they could have played a slot corner but uh, they they had taishim johnson playing almost every snap as the like coverage nickelback guy and Mm -hmm. like in, in like press man coverage, like off the line for like the number two receiver and like definitely defenses noticed that and they took advantage of it because like USC, like as as like Wazoo burned him, USC burned him, Oregon State burned him, like those little tiny receivers that they have, like mm-hmm. Golden Bolden burned him um, and, uh, you know, uh, 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 and, and 
and Roman Dunze burned him. I mean, Roman Dunze burns a lot of guys, but just the way that Oregon asked him to play coverage, it wasn't like start with a 10 yard cushion. It was try to play that guy, you know, you know, press, you know, up uh, with your nose up against him off the snap. And it was like, no way. He's not big enough. He's not big enough to push him off the route. Yeah. He, that, and also like, he doesn't backpedal well enough. Like he needs to be playing the high safety position. And like, and that's, I mean, that was the thing that was really clear on my tally. It was clear at Ole Miss and it was clear at Oregon. Like if, if you get him to play the high safety, I think he's a really good high safety. I, I, there's, there are other people who watch Oregon film who are like, I'm not wild about his, the angles that he takes as a high safety. I've never seen that. I think he plays very well as a high safety and appropriate angles. You know, if, if there's a coverage breakdown or whatever, like I've got multiple clips, you know, from early part of the year in which he rescues the play um uh you know by taking the appropriate angle like i really like him if oregon has the appropriate safety depth to play him where he's supposed to play i think he's an all-conference you know high safety and it's just you wouldn't know it from from the numbers that he put up or the grades that he got this year in which he was playing you know you know down on the line like you know trying to play press man against receivers who are just better than him in coverage you know because i don't really think he's a nickelback i don't think you're supposed to be that's that's my attitude what what do you think kevin i you know i i watch him i played corner when i played football and he to me him playing safety seemed like he was out of position it like like you just said him being up in press he was not big enough for that playing a high safety absolutely but he has some great speed and and ball skills you know some of the some of the reactions I saw him take, like you were talking about for rescuing plays, you know, he played more like a corner in zone than a safety in man. Mm-hmm. And, and so, you know, maybe it's scheme, maybe it was personnel issues. I, I think there is much better opportunities for him to contribute if they can get him in the right space and use him properly. Um, Plus, we're, you know, with the transfer portal and incoming recruits, we're going to have some incredible depth on the back end. So I, I'm excited to see well, what he can do. I mean, I think they're going to have some incredible players. I, I think they're going to have, a, you know, access to, you know, a couple of uh, a pretty awesome dudes. Mm-hmm. But like they need all the depth they can get. Like, yeah. I think that was actually a pretty big problem last year is that they like I think they only had three safeties that between like injuries and trust i only think they had three safeties that they trusted and frankly i don't know how much they should have been trusting steve stevens Stevens. like um (laughs) and 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 so that's one of them so i mean this was their safety situation once brian addison wasn't wasn't playing was uh uh uh, i think brian decided he was transferring after game four yeah probably you know their situation was you know steve stevens like who's like he, I mean, it's just very clear that his grades weren't uh, uh, like up to snuff. Like his grades on my tally sheet. Like I, I can't. I I'm not going to sugarcoat it. Like like that that was his. He had the lowest grades on the team of any starter. Um, the end. Uh, you, you had uh, like Evan Williams, who's playing with the club on his hand for like half the season. Um, and, you know, which limited his effectiveness as a as a pass defender. Um, and on top of that, like as a boundary safety, like you don't really 
I mean, that's his skill set is a, is a thumper, you know, first and foremost. Uh, and you had Taishin Johnson, who is, you know, playing in the nickelback position where he shouldn't, you know, impress man coverage, which is not what you should be having him do. So it was just like and then and those were the only three guys that they had, you know, because, you know, other guys were hurt, you know, were not available, you know, or, you know, about to transfer out, which describes, I think, like four other guys, you know, uh, and it's like, oh, my God. So regard even if you think that taishim johnson is an iffy safety like i'll take an iffy safety you know to build out depth you know because like they need all the dudes they can get right you know evan williams is out of eligibility steve stevens is out of eligibility like you know at this point you know the safety room is going to be probably uh you know uh, the the kansas state transfer kobe savage uh taishim johnson uh, you know, uh, and, and, and maybe one of the cornerbacks that they convert over, um, uh, you know, uh, and, and they're probably not done adding transfers, you know, it, it's like they, they need all the depth they can get, you know, or maybe it's oh, yeah. fresh, I, I think you know, there's, there's still a few targets out there. All right. Uh, let's talk about some of these offensive, uh, uh well, uh, you know, we can get to that in a minute. <laughs> Wait, hold on. Is there, what else? Yeah. Um, no, 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 I, we're going to get to the, the, the recruiting in in the next segment. So, oh yeah, yeah. No, we we touched very briefly on Tez Johnson. Um, I just said you know he's going to be everybody's favorite player coming back. I am so excited to not hear the announcers mention that he's Bo Nix's adopted brother. Every I mean, they probably they will mention, still. <laughs> uh, you know, they it, it's you're right because every time Patrick Herbert touches the ball, they say Justin Herbert's little. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he's been in the NFL for three, four years now. So, um, but you know, and we saw in in the Fiesta Bowl that Tez has the potential to be a primary target, even though he's a slot receiver. Um, you know, they, he, he went over a thousand yards. We had 2000 yeah. yard receivers for the first time in a very long time. No, I mean, I, I was trying to tell everybody who'd listen, how, how, you know, cause I watched his film at Troy mm-hmm. and like, I, I mean, it, it was kind of funny cause this year I was sort of like, Hey, they should be balancing out the ball a little bit more between Johnson and Bryant in the slot. Like there's really like, I, like I, I understand that they like Johnson a lot, like, uh, you know, a four to one, you know, ratio is not, mm-hmm. this is like, Nick's is sort of forcing the ball to Johnson a bit more often than he really should be, but like, okay, fine, whatever. Like, and, and the other thing that was just hilarious was that when I was reviewing his film at Troy, where he was at for, I think three years, um, like my, like I was pulling my hair out with Troy's coaching staff. Cause I was like, how are you not like, he wasn't on the field for half the snaps. It was like they were so dumb in how they were underutilizing just Johnson. I was like mm. idiots. Where <laughs> they were having him run all these um sweep plays, but then they couldn't block them. And so he was getting mauled. And and I was like, Do you understand what like, yeah, oh my god. The just the uh, the misutilization and underutilization of him at Troy and then you know how much Will Stein just loved like what he could do with that guy it was like night and day. It was so great, and having receivers that could block. Yeah. Uh, speaking of which, Treshawn Holden, uh, that was real funny. Like Treshawn Holden's coming back at Alabama. It was actually somewhat difficult to get the tape on the guy because he got like he, he started out the year gangbusters for Alabama, and then he sort of like pro- got progressively sidelined. Mm-hmm. Um, 
like he got less and less playing time for no good reason. It was like that year, Alabama, like it was the year that Alabama lost all their great receivers to the NFL. And so it was like, well, who's going to be the next great receivers at at Alabama? And it looked like Treshawn Holden was going to be that guy. And then they started benching him in favor of like running out at, at several times, like three tight end sets, which I know Oregon did. But like like they were throwing to nobodies um, like it was so like that offense was so like crazy. Um, and so I was sort of like why, we, you know, I was contacting Alabama people like why was Treshawn Holden, you know, getting benched? And it's like, well. I don't know that like there's just some locker room rumors or, or maybe like he doesn't block as enthusiastically as Nick Saban likes. And I'm like, okay, whatever. And then he goes out. He's a, he's a great blocker for Oregon. Like he was, a, he was a trooper. Like I didn't detect him ever complaining. All of the social media stuff has been, you know, fantastic about loving the ducks. Like, you know, mm-hmm. like, I mean, dude's been awesome, you know, at Oregon. He got in he got in some trouble with an off-field incident at the beginning of the year. And then, you know, and then when it was further investigated, landing invited him, you know, back to the team, you know, you know, bygones are bygones kind of stuff. Like, uh, you know, I, I don't I, I don't get it, man. You know, I don't get what the you know what Alabama thought they were thought they had or thought they were uh you know getting rid of. But like Treshawn Holden's been great for Oregon. I'm really looking forward to great things. Yeah. Yeah, no, it, and I, it was especially crazy because the the complaint that I kept finding on an Alabama message boards was like, "Oh, he's not blocking enthusiastically enough." And then I'm sitting here grading him 2023, and he's throwing he's like six five, and he's throwing monster blocks. And I'm like, "You guys are got to be kidding me, right?" Like, is this gaslighting? Like, yeah, okay. Let's see who else. See, I I was surprised okay. because he's so big that they didn't go. Did I, did I lose you? No, you're through. Hello, you're good, man. Okay, sorry. No, what the? Yeah, I guess we got. I guess we got to keep moving. But no, I was surprised that they weren't using him uh, more because of his size, just in like those short yardage contested catch kind of situations. Yeah, what do I know? But he did take uh, one real quick. He did take five catches, sixty nine yards in the Fiesta Bowl. So yeah, yeah. I put uh, he, he can a... catch. He can he can gain yards for us. Oh, uh, next up, go ahead. Yeah, he had a gorgeous catch in the Fiesta Bowl where he goes up and high points it and then gets a double toe tap in like the NFL. <laughs> toe tap it was great so the other big one um noah whittington you know missed most of the year which gave us an extra dose of jordan james he's coming back next year um he was expected to be the one-two punch with bucky irving um now he's going to be the one-two punch with jordan james or at least currently we'll see how things shape up after spring and fall because we got some new folks coming in that are going to want to want to fight for that playing time but um what do you think about noah whittington coming back I, I love Noah Whittington. Like he he graded out pretty comparably, you know, both last year with Bucky Irving and then during the games that he played this year, like, you know, his, you know, yards per carry number, his per play success rates, like, you know, he's very, he was, you know, all of the, his numbers are, were comparable to Bucky Irving's um, and, uh, and, and so, yeah, you know, like, yeah, I'm totally into to Noah Whittington. I think he's, you know, he's a great back. Like, he's definitely Carlos Lachlan's style of back. Hell, he was the guy that Carlos Lachlan brought with him from Western Kentucky. Um, you know, they they also bring back Jaden Lamar. You know, I think they probably want to have a three-headed, you know, running back room because that's what they were operating with Irving, Whittington, and James, you know, last year prior to Whittington getting injured. Um, I, I think probably well, the division... 
division two transfer that they brought in is probably like an insurance uh policy in case somebody gets hurt so that they can go to a three back system um and that's probably the situation but yeah and i'm fully expecting the noah whittington jordan james uh to be 1a 1b and uh and for lamar to be you know the third guy Mm-hmm. Well, and here's an interesting fact to realize that even though Noah Whittington went down, he was still the fourth leading rusher on the team. They didn't replace yeah. him in that three-headed backfield. You know, they, yeah, they got I, I think carries. they just wanted Lamar to mature a little bit more. Yeah. So, you know, that, but <clears throat> so put him back in as, you know, 1A, 1B. Um, you've got the, you know, Lamar's here. We we lost, obviously, Dowdle to the transfer portal. Um, new, new back coming in. So they're, it's uh, the one A one B spot is, is his, you know, to hold on to. I think at this point, um, and if we, you know, go back a season when he was one A one B with with Irving before, he's one of those players that could have gone somewhere and been the featured back. Um, you know, he came here obviously to be the featured back and ended up sharing time. But I'm really excited. He's like a human wrecking ball. Yeah, he just he just goes through people. You know, not that Irving wasn't great at, uh, you know, bouncing off a of contact, but Irving bounced, you know, you, you'd hit him and he, yeah. and then he, and then he was really going. like an improvisational runner, which like, as we're going to talk about when we talk about sort of the statistical review, like has it's, it definitely has its upside. Like he was making something out of nothing a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, but also like it has its downside too. you know, like a lot of times Irving wouldn't follow his blocks and, uh, and like I, I think Woodington's a little better on that score. So yep. uh, you know, as Oregon's run blocking, you know, I really think it'd be solidified in 2024. Like I'm, I'm kind of looking for more of a James and Whittington type of back. You know, I'm, I'm sort of looking forward to that. Okay, so uh, we'll stick with pass catchers. Terrence Ferguson, tight end, coming back. Um, obviously, was our top tight end target. Yep. And uh, you know, I. From years past, Oregon has usually had like a featured tight end that was just a an integral part of the offense. And, you know, our top four pass catchers were all receivers. And then Ferguson was five. Had more receptions, not so much the big yards, but six touchdowns. Yeah. You know, the, the guy was just a beast in the red zone. Uh, yeah. And then in addition to Terrence Ferguson, also bringing back Patrick Herbert. Patrick Herbert. Um who Justin Herbert's little brother, right? Uh, <laughs> can't go without yeah. mentioning it. Um, who actually, uh, on um, in terms of you know, per play success rate through the roof, like you know, he only got 12, you know, outside of garbage time, only like 12 uh, uh targets. Um, but like, like 10 or 11 of them were successful plays. Mm-hmm. like i mean like virtually every time herbert got targeted it was you know th- they were moving the sticks with it you know like he was a really valuable player they were mostly using him he they were using him more as a blocker than they were using ferguson because as you say you know it was like four to one for the targets um yeah you know between the two of those guys uh but like herbert's a you know super valuable guy to 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 have as you know as well and bringing them both back i'm i'm super into that um especially bringing Kenyon sadiq online um like uh you know they, they had their three tight end rotation with casey kelly like kelly caught a couple of passes i think he caught, had like five targets on the year including like one touchdown was really fun two touchdowns. um oh two yeah right uh i think one was in garbage time um the uh the 
that um but like they almost exclusively were using kelly as a blocker i don't think that's how they're going to use sadiq right like i think no. they're going to have you know i think they're really going to have three tight ends next year that really are like three totally versatile tight ends who you don't know you know what the hell they're going to do on a play which is the whole point of a tight end you know mm -hmm. that like you you cannot derive what the play is going to be from where that guy's lined up you know what he's doing initially off the snap you know uh, how many there are in the formation or where they're lined up in the formation like you know and if you can be that versatile and that um deceptive like and with with you know and then every tight end that you have in the mix for that exponentially increases the possibilities uh, you know for for deception and misdirections so if they have three you know inclusive of Sadiq and with two guys with proven track records and Ferguson and Herbert I mean I do want to see Ferguson uh, in particular improve his blocking rates because like I I mean I do have some hit for him on on my tally sheet like I'm like dude you need to have like about a 10 percent better blocking rate but like look that's what his senior year is for you know we we've all seen seniors take that jump and that's what i want to see yeah and then last one's a johnny carnelius the right tackle um yes. he uh we'll, we'll talk about in the statistical review but like i just wanted to say like it's great that Oregon brings back both of their tackles. These guys both hit the ground running in terms of pass protection. Like they like never had a problem, like never, not even a little bit, not from the game one. Uh, was there a problem with these guys in pass protection, you know, but Nick's Nick's scramble numbers were down even from last year. And that's with Oregon having to implement a new offensive line. You know, like, which remember in the offseason, like, that's what everybody's criticism for Oregon was. Oh, they've got four new offensive line starters. I think they're taking a step back. Like, oh, boy, you guys didn't do any work at all on this thing. That's what's, you know, going to be the issue. Uh, and Johnny Cornelius was a big part of that because he came in, you know, and was a great pass blocker from the from the from the jump. I'm really glad that he's back. There we are. Uh, just real quick, let's run down the five guys who have declared. Bucky Irving, oh, yes. we all expected that. Um, Jackson Powers Johnson, uh, you know, that that was also, you know, widely expected. Troy Franklin, of course. Uh, Kyrie Jackson, Jackson. Uh, the corner, you know, we only got to see him in the Oregon uniform for a year. Um, and it was interesting because he was just a backup corner at Alabama, you know, before. So he basically, like... He shows up for one year, plays great, goes to the NFL. Hey, you know, <laughs> I, you know if if you're if you're good enough, you're old enough, I guess. So and then uh, and then Jamal Hill decides to to declare um, that, which um, I don't know is necessarily a surprise or anything. Uh, like I, uh, uh, but he was the last guy to declare. Um, you know, I, best of luck to him, you know, in the NFL, like, I think that he's, they're probably going to move him back to play safety rather than linebacker in the NFL. Mm -hmm. Um, like a like a hard hitting uh, nickel or maybe a, you know a special teams uh, guy I, i'm not sure um but i also think it's sort of a commentary on where oregon's linebacker is you know next year like he's probably not like if he had come back i don't think there was a whole lot of available for him um in, in and uh but like he was fantastic duck you know for all the time that he was in eugene so you know that's pretty awesome he, uh, he won the usc game for us a couple of years he sure ago. did in 2020 <laughs> all right let's take a break uh we come back uh we'll uh talk some statistical review of the offense 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. So I uh, I published my postseason statistical review, the offense. Next week, I'll, pu- I'll publish the defense. Uh, this is sort of, I, I, I know it's a bit of a dry article, and I was sort of talked about a number of these things already. But usually, I publish it before the bowl game, but I was so gobsmacked by Oregon playing Liberty that you know, I, I hadn't done like any of the pre-charting work on Liberty. And so like I spent like the entire month of December just like finding that film, <laughs> much <laughs> less like actually charting it. So like this article sort of got delayed until January. Um, but uh, yeah, one of the things though, I was able to to go back and compare it to the previous like sort of three seasons, well, three full seasons. So 2019, 2021, 2022. So this is like the fourth full season. And the most like interesting thing to me is that there's, there's this ratchet effect. First of all, I should say this was the best offensive season I've ever recorded for Oregon. Like it's better than the 2014 year or the 2012 year. Like uh, uh, in in the metrics that I track, excluding garbage time, like th- this was in in all six categories that I track, which are success rate, run and pass, yards per play, run and pass, and explode, you know, rate of explosive plays, run and pass. In those six categories, this in all six of them, it was the best year ever uh, for the Ducks offense um, that I that I've ever charted. And you've I don't been know, doing this like for... 1958, you know, in, yeah. you know, or something like that. Norm Van Brocklin or something led a better offense, but I didn't chart that. Uh, here's the real. <laughs> so for, first of all, like, sorry. So first but... of all, like, hooray. Uh, yes. Second of all, as I note towards the end of my article, it actually made this article kind of boring for sort of Anna Karenina reasons, you know, like every happy family family is identical. Every dysfunctional family is unique and interesting. Um, this was sort of the, the, the happy family, like they were like the down and distance numbers weren't interesting to write about because they were just good in every down and distance situation. So like, oh, okay. Um, but anyway, the, uh, here's the other thing that I noticed when looking at the 2019 through 2023 numbers, you know, because I I'm using the same charting system, same metrics, right? Like I'm just, and with the same, you know, controls on the data so that it's straight apples to apples comparisons. A couple Mm of interesting things emerged this year uh, in their 13 games against FBS uh, competition. I had 700 snaps to review in previous years. 
Well, in 2022, I also had 700 snaps, but they played one fewer game, right? Because they weren't in a conference championship. Correct. So, you know, they were they played 13 games, but the same they, they played one more game, but the same number of snaps. Um, uh, uh, the and then in in um, in 2019 and 2021 games, years in which they also played 13 games because they were in the conference championship in in those years as well uh those years that it, it was like uh, uh 750 770 you know so so like same number of games but like a full game more of snaps um so what that you know what you take away from that is that Oregon was in the aggregate you know playing about like 10 to 15 fewer non garbage time snaps per game this year Mm -hmm. or, or another way to put that is Oregon we blowing was putting, the doors off of people. Yeah. Oregon is <laughs> putting games into garbage time, 10 to 15 snaps earlier, which is a, they're scoring more regular or more consistently, you know, like fewer drives are stalling out without scores and, and also like the defense plays into that, you know, because garbage time comes earlier when you can keep the defense out of the, or when your defense keeps the opposing offense out of the end zone, but also it's a tick up in explosive play rate. So that's the other thing that I, uh, I noticed is each of these years, 2019, 2019 to 2021, 2021 to 2022 and 2022 to 2023, there's a ratchet effect. And what I mean by that is the, the numbers all stay the same except one category in which it gets better. And then the next year, another category gets better and then the next year another category gets better but there's never a backslide so that's why this year was the best ever is that they they started in 2019 which was a good year for the offense and then in 2021 what improved versus 2019 was the run game the run game got a lot more consistent they improved by about seven points in efficiency uh uh about uh uh uh, 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 three quarters of a yard in yards per carry and about uh, four to five percentage points in explosiveness in the run game. The passing game stayed about the same um, between 19 and 21. Then between 21 and 22, the run game stayed just as awesome, but the passing game took a big jump because go figure you went from uh, from from uh, 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 the previous quarterback to Bo Nix, right? Who's like super accurate and uh, and and you know didn't have the 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 inaccuracy problems like he was just a veteran quarterback who played awesome right in 2021 and so you had a huge jump like a 10 percentage point jump in efficiency between 2021 and 2022 in the passing game you had about a a, a yard and a quarter improvement in yards per pass attempt and you had about a six percentage point jump in explosive plays which is a like oh my god are you like they went from about uh, a little under 15 or 16% to a little under 22% in in explosive play rate in the passing game which is just like are you kidding me like that's such a huge jump um uh uh b between Anthony and Bo like that I mean Jesus so that was the huge ratchet in 2022 so then in 2023 Again, the run game doesn't go anywhere. The pass game doesn't go anywhere. But where they do have a jump is explosive. They have another jump still in explosiveness in both the run and the pass. They gain about three more points in or uh, four more points in explosiveness in both running and passing. Um, 
on what was already well above the 20% uh, championship threshold uh, for explosiveness in running and passing. So that's, that's the difference is they start like 2022 was already championship caliber offense across the board. 2023 maintained that championship caliber offense and what it really was where, where the ratchet ratcheted up in 2023 was it got even more explosive and it was already vi- like championship level explosive that was a long thing are you getting me here kevin i'm, Mike? I'm I getting you, I, you get well? so excited about stats that i just kind of let you cook when it comes to them okay uh, i wanted to make sure i was explaining <laughs> that well it, it's it, that's what they started the out good in us. 2019 yeah. but here's here's the impressive thing they never backslid they yeah. never backslid on any of these they just whenever they made an improvement they maintained that improvement for all subsequent years mm-hmm. and they found something else to improve and they kept doing that. like, and, and that's why in 2023 they had the best you know performance ever. And then also I've been doing this for a long time. I've charted a bunch of teams. I've charted like uh, dozens, dozens and dozens and dozens, maybe hundred teams <clears throat> of their entire seasons and like including. And so I have, I can make these same apples to apples comparisons. I pulled up, I did database query for the the only teams that have ever performed with comparable numbers have all played for national champion. Like, like basically this team was the only, or no, there's one other exception, but uh, was the only one that didn't play. So it was Auburn in 2010, Florida State in 2013, Georgia in 21 and 22, uh, Oregon in 2014, Ohio State in 2014 and 2021. Oh, Stanford in 2015 uh, d- didn't play for national championship. Remember that was the year, you know, that was when Oregon and Stanford were knocking each other out. Yeah. Right? Um, yeah. So basically this was, this was a national championship offense that didn't play for a national champion. Yeah. Because so, it had the unfortunate thing of going up against a squad that did play for him. Yeah. Twice. You got to be kicking yourself, you know, for that. Um, Six points away. We're not here to talk about the strategy, no. which I think was the, the issue with the offense in the conference championship game. Uh, we're here to talk about statistical production um, and the statistical production was amazing. It was, was amazing. Um, let's see other sort of takeaways. Um, I mean, you should read my entire article. I'm not going to dump all the stats out of my article, but like, or uh, this year, unlike previous years or in previous years, very assiduously, Oregon had maintained a very assiduous, like 50, 50 run pass balance in not just first down or globally, but like in almost all down and distance situations. I mean, obviously when they would get into mm-hmm. third and long, they were going to throw the ball, you know, but like w- with that exception, they, they were maintaining a pretty close to 50% bounce this year. Stein definitely had a passing bias. Like it was about 58% passing to 42% rushing, which to be perfectly honest, I, I would like to see more rushing. Like I, I the, this team definitely had an advantage, especially in certain against certain opponents. I'm talking about strategy. I said I wouldn't talk about strategy. <laughs> um, but what what I can report statistically is that first of all, in no situation did it ever get so excessive that defenses could say, Oh, well, I definitely know it's going to be a pass, you know, so it's, it, there is a passing bias, but in where, in my experience, cause like I said, I've charted like hundreds of teams, like, uh, uh, the defenses don't start saying, um, 
I I can just ignore the run or I can just ignore the pass in in the, the obverse situation um, until it hits more like 70 30. So like as long as you're staying under that umbrella, you know, under that umbrella, you won't get wet. Uh, so so that it was fine. Um, and they never really gave it away. You know, like if you when I also did the the trivariate analysis with formation down and distance and run pass like they um, which really cooked the computer. It does not like doing trivariate. It took it like two nights to finish it. Um, but uh, like you you can't find a oops. They've got 12 person personnel on the field on second and four or second and three so they're probably going to run nope they were just as likely to, to take a deep shot out of that situation so like yeah they were they were keeping they even though they had a pass bias they were still in each down and distance and even when taking formation into account um or personnel grouping into account they were still keeping their cards close enough to their chest that they weren't given away or given the defense an advantage so i can happily yeah. report that even well, though we, I, we had to make sure if we were going to play in the national title game against a certain team that you know we weren't uh broadcasting any more than their sideline <laughs> <laughs> all right um <laughs> Let's see. Uh, uh, contrary to wide reports, this was not a check down offense. The, that was what um, I was about to say. Eight percent of play calls were screen. Uh, yeah, actually, which came down about two points um, it, from midseason. It was about 10 percent. It finished at about eight percent. That was because of Oregon um, and the two percent came from more rushing. Yeah. Um, so, hey, I sort of got my wish a little bit. Um, the. Um, the 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 breakdown in terms of downfield passing was the same as it was midseason 20 percent deep and then a 40 40 split between intermediate and short um which is you know to hear washington or lsu fans during heisman voting season tell it you know it was a hundred percent short passes but of course they're wrong like it's that you know and in fact actually compared to kenny dillingham's offense in 2022 it in which it was a like um it, it was still 20 percent deep but it was a 30 50 split for intermediate to short like dillingham was much more he was 50% short and and Stein was 40% short and he took that 10% and he applied it to the medium um uh, you know to the intermediate and that in my opinion was the 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 one of the major contributors to Oregon's growth in um the explosive play uh, a quotient which as i cut it off for explosive pass play is 15 plus yards um so like obviously you're more likely to to get you know 15 plus yard passing plays if you're throwing it to the middle distance rather than you're throwing it to the short distance um the other factor that contributes to the growth in explosive passing plays um was was basically Tez Johnson. Um, yeah, uh, uh, Troy Franklin was basically the same receiver that he was last year, which is a great receiver. It's just you, you um, no knock on Troy Franklin or anything. It's just his numbers. Once you control for, um, you know, once you put the 40 yard cap to control for field position effects, like he was the same receiver as he was last. The growth mm -hmm. in explosive plays, in explosive passing plays, is that Tez Johnson compared to the guys that he was, he sort of shoved out of the way his counterparts in 2022 his yards after catch numbers were amazing 
which was something I was trying to tell everybody from watching the Troy film. If you go back and read my, you know, Tez Johnson article, you know, when he transferred in was like, look at all this yards after the catch. He's amazing. And then sure enough at Oregon, look at all these yards after the catch. He's amazing. Um, Don't you love it when you're right? I do, I do, Kevin. The <laughs> primary reason I do what I do, like my main motivating factor. Um, let's see, uh, uh, other stuff. Oh, the um, uh, uh, I spend quite a bit of, of time breaking down the offensive line grades. Um, the uh, uh, um, uh, like I said, when we're in, in the previous segment, Connerly and Cornelius came on gangbusters in pass blocking. Like from the get go, they were meeting the weekend standard run blocking. Um, the entire line needed to improve. You know, they were not meeting the Oregon standard at the beginning of the year, but by the end of the year, they were like every year, every every week, they just got better. Um and, uh, and, and, and across the board, including guys that have been wrapping their knuckles for a while, like Steven Jones, like Steven Jones had not been a great run blocker. He finished the year as like a pretty serviceable run blocker. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, he wasn't that great at the beginning of the year, but like the, his late season, like, like just the last seven games, like he was actually meeting the Oregon standard at long last, um, of sub 12% rush blocking error rate. So I was like, woohoo, the guy who really was crazy in terms of run blocking. And I think kind of speaking of, don't I love being right? A Johnny Cornelius came in and his run blocking grades in the first half of the year were atrocious. Like they were like 17%. Um, Yeah. But then uh, he cleaned it up. Like, oh boy, did he clean it up. One of the best improvements I've ever seen over the course of a season. So by the second half of the season, he was operating well under 11 in his run blocking grades. So like, I think that really helps demonstrate the like transfers got to acclimate they got a gel, you know, uh, thing like because run blocking is much more of a team, you know, cause th- yeah. then pass block, you know, pass blocking is much more of the, like the individual contest between you. And I mean, obviously there's blitz pickups and communication. Like it's that mm-hmm. that's not an absolute statement. Pass blocking is also a team thing to, to an extent, but much more so run blocking is a team thing. You, you need to know what your teammates are doing. And like, yeah. Oh boy. You know, Cornelius had a real problem at the beginning of the year in run blocking. He was simply not as effective as the other guys. By the end of the year, he was one of the best run blockers that Oregon had. And it's like, like, yeah, that's the, that's the time effect. <laughs> Can we mention you know? that it, in all of his pass blocking snaps, he only allowed one QB hit and not a single yeah. sack? Oh, yeah. Oh, man, I'm, I'm, I, this is the Anna Karenina thing. Like, I'm glossing over it. I, I love that you're so working good. in the Tolstoy reference. Yeah, right. Um, <laughs> but, like, yeah, just the pass blocking was, I mean, from the, like their cumulative pass blocking error rate was 5.36, was just like, that's incredible. Like, and for all, like, for a line that everybody like making fun of for being oh it's all new no first of all no it's not and second of all like watch out um connerly actually interestingly had the worst pass blocking grades but he's the left tackle like of course you know like he's, yeah, he's the guy who's going to be the facing hardest. the yeah. yeah um i i don't have any pro I, I have no doubts about him the interesting thing was john jackson powers john his pass blocking grades were great um uh, you know no complaints there his and, and at the beginning of the year his rush blocking grades were you know the same great rush blocking grades as they were uh last uh, season where they were just phenomenal. However, in the second half of the year, he actually really uh, slid. His his rush blocking rates were really kind of slid into the mid teens. Um, 
And I suspect that he was sort of, that he was, this is just a guess. I'm sort of speculating, but I am guessing that he uh, might've been hurt um, or that he was actually, I know that he was hurt, but I suspect that maybe he continued to play with like a nagging injury when he, when he got back onto the field and that that probably affected things. Um, and I suspect that that's probably a big reason why he sat out the Fiesta Bowl um, uh, was that he didn't want, you know, he didn't want to aggravate that. Like that's pure speculation on my part, but it would make sense given the, um, you know, g- given the numbers that and like I didn't even notice it until I ran the numbers, you know, because it's like most of the time he was still blocking, you know, great. And it was just like, oh, an occasional, you know, uh, run error, you know, and it just sort of like blended in. But then when I ran the numbers, it was just like, oh, geez, I really was marking him down as having screwed up on a at a, on a higher basis than I than than I than than in the past, huh? That it was the injury. So I we'll never really know, but like I I can report it, and it was happening often enough that it's like it it, it couldn't have been a fluke. Um. So yeah, that was weird. Anyway, you know, he's off to the NFL now, so uh, I guess we're never really going to know. But it was an interesting thing that happened. Um. But overall, yes, the offensive line I, I can happily report like definitely like gelled in place as an excellent offensive line and. And the guy who took over for Jackson Powers Johnson, you know, Iapani Laulu, as a true freshman, got extensive experience and was blocking just as well as the rest of them. Um, you know, I no, I, I got no doubts about him. You know, p- picking up the standard and uh, and and playing well. Like there was a bit of bits blitz pickup issues in the Fiesta Bowl that I think you know that, that's something to work on. But hey, is full time starting center with Alik Terry working with him? I you know I got no problem. You know, d- no doubts about that. So, I you know I got greens across the board. You know, I, for this offensive review, as as I you know why not like anybody was expecting anything else i'm sure but like you know even when i dove deep really looking i mean i had to go look like you know second and i had like an entire paragraph talking about second and long rushing being somewhat unusually ineffective because it was the only thing i could find to talk about man (laughs) like man what a killer performance for this offense this year i can't wait to see this the defensive analysis as well next yeah Yeah, no, I mean, that that's probably going to be, you know, uh, I'm going to have more to talk about because it's just going to be like, wow, it was great. (laughs) (laughs) It's going to be a tale of two seasons. Yeah, well, I mean, there's guys who like were in and out of the lineup and there were, you know, you know, with the corners going in and out. And as we already mentioned, like, you know, Justin Jacobs, you know, in and out of the lineup, there was the whole like mintification or further mintification of the defense. It was definitely like the growth of the defense over it. You know, it, it was the unit that was not the top five. I think they finished like 16th in F plus. Anyway, we'll, we'll talk about that when, when I write it. Uh, let's take a break. Uh, when we come back, we will uh, we'll talk some football recruiting. Sounds good. So you wrote up uh, the the a little bit deeper dives of all the defensive recruits from the 2024 prep class. Uh, we'll we'll look at the transfers in some future articles. Um, but the 2024 recruits, you went and got all their um, their huddle film, and you wrote up a little blurbs. Uh, you you wrote two separate articles, one about the front and one about the uh, the um, the defensive backfield. Um, but we'll just talk all about all of them in, in this segment. Um, 
any guys that you you're really really excited about? I mean, we got we got to start with the five stars, Aiden Breland and Elijah Rushing. Um, yes, I realize that composite five stars week to week, but uh, Aiden Breland, defensive tackle out of Mater Day. Um, this guy is a bully. He looks like the kid that used to take my lunch money in high school. Um, he, he's he slaps aside guards. He just runs right through double teams and he punishes anyone who touches the ball. Um, he's six, five, 290 pounds, you know, he could play interior defensive line, but he's got the movement to corral the outside that, you know, it, going back to, you know, what we were talking about with Jordan Birch earlier, you know, he couldn't, <laughs> he can be either end, you know, he could in our, in our, uh, in our offense, or he can play inside. And, uh, you know, he's, he's already, I think he's actually already on campus. Like he's already enrolled. I believe he might've been one of the kids that uh, was practicing. You, <laughs> already. Yeah. Like a, a, a considerable number of the, um, uh, of the 2024, especially on the defense. Uh, well, I think, I think almost all of the 2024 guys are early enrollees, um, except for, uh, some of the offensive linemen. And I think mm -hmm. one other guy, uh, who's not an offensive lineman are early enrollees. And then uh, a substantial number were able to enroll or, or get on campus, um, uh, and practice with the team prior to the Fiesta Bowl due to an NCAA rule change that allowed that, which is that's really cool. Yeah. So, so that's my take on, on Aiden Breland. I, I think he's going to be one of those kids that's in the rotation. Um, his first year on campus. I, I don't see him carving out a starting spot though. We are light on the interior defensive line as we've already talked about. I mean, if there's uh, there, yeah, I, I mean, I'm expecting the same thing, but if there's one guy who'd make a case for starting on the interior defensive line as a Drew freshman. Yeah. Aiden Breland make that case. Mm -hmm. uh, from the inside to outside linebacker, Elijah rushing, uh, out of Salt Point Catholic High School in Tucson, Arizona. I mispronounced that on purpose. Um, yeah, outside linebacker, 55 total tackles, um, but also 13 and a half sacks and 64 quarterbacker. So this is your 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 OLB who's actually a pass rusher, um, which is, is very fun to watch. I, I, I've discovered a love for watching defensive uh, huddle tape, just watching people get bodied. Uh, 6'6", 251 pounds, um, can put his hand in the ground or be the modern edge rusher standing up. Um, there, This is another player that, uh, you know, he's got a huge upside. I mean, scouting has him as a potential early round draft pick down the line. He's going to be a weapon. I'd love to see him get on the field and, you know, against is it Idaho uh, that we play early in the season and, and, you know, get some reps. But again, you know, even being a five-star, the adjustment to the, to division one is always going to be a thing, but I see playing time for him early. I don't see him cracking the rotation because of what's in front of him. We've already got a five-star edge rusher on the roster. Anything you saw? I I mean, if there's a reason why, you know, everybody was fighting like hell for this guy. Like, I, I mean, yeah, <laughs> like you dudes, a five-star for a reason. I, I mean, and you know, not, I don't really think the measure of a recruit is early playing time. I, you know, I, I, I don't want to focus on it too much. Um, mm -hmm. uh, and the, in, in fact, I'm very happy that o Oregon is moving to, 
to sort of construct itself the way that Blue Bloods construct their programs as factories, you know, with conveyor belts Mm -hmm. so that, you know, you're not relying on transfers and true freshmen and sort of slapping together your, you know, rather than the sort of a just-in-time system that, like, got exploded during COVID um, uh, to, to reference global shipping chains, which I know everybody was super excited about after I ranted about stats for 40 minutes. Um, uh, but rather, <laughs> you know, uh, you know, the, the in-house factory, you know, where, you, you know, you, you build it and then you have the replacement in-house, you know, ready to go. Um, so I don't want to talk too much about guys who are awesome because they have the potential for early, you know, playing time as true freshmen. No worries. But Elijah Rushing has the potential for early playing time. <laughs> there it is. I was going to say, <laughs> no, this kid's going to be a win. I mean, um, watching and, take- and obviously Oregon definitely set the precedent for that in 2023 when they were playing a bunch of true freshmen off the edge, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, I'm sure that there's, you know, better examples. Like it's always like going to be the next Jadavion Clowney, but just watching his tape. Cause I never, you know, the only Jadavion Clowney hit I've ever seen was the one after they didn't, they gave him the first down that shouldn't have been there. Um, that got played on Twitter for years, but he reminded me of Dion Jordan going back to a, a duck a, that some of us might remember. Um, just always after the ball, just what play went away from him, you know, and, and as a rush end, you, you get into the backfield and you're looking at the backside of a tailback going around the opposite tackle. A lot of times it's okay. I'm going to jog down the field. No, he ran down and I don't mean like took great angles and, you know, crossed the entire field. He chased down plays from the backside and it's glorious. So, yeah. No, I mean, his huddle really pops like listener. If you have not read uh, these, you know, these articles that Kevin put together where he wrestled up all the huddle film, like it's it, they're really say it's a great clearinghouse for that stuff. Um, let, let's stick with the line. Uh, Jericho Johnson, uh, who's the sort of the the one day late uh, addition to the class, um, mm-hmm. you know, huge nose tackle, you know, six, four, 300 pounds like, a, you know really love that um you know i I suspect that is that guy needs to you're probably going to see him reshaping his body a bit um Mm -hmm. uh you know before he sees playing time but i thought that the comp that you included in your article of jordan scott you know definitely applied it's just like jordan scott was maybe 511 you know (laughs) and 330 pounds yeah and and jericho johnson's six four you know and he's all a six four that's not like the generous listing like that guy's yeah but and the thing is he's big but he's got some burst behind it. Good first yeah. step. He's he's quick, you know, for that size. And he keeps his feet moving, which, you know, a lot of times you see these bigger guys, once they're in contact, they're kind of sumo wrestling. Um, he he pushes through people. You know? Yeah. So it's going to be a play wrecker on the inside. And then actually the guy that I really like, um, and, and I like just because of the other dudes in the class are so exciting. I understand why he, he isn't mentioned as much, but I'm super, super stoked about it. Is Adavian Sims because he, like, he's got the ideal portions uh, to, to play the four eye and mint defensive structure, which is like, you cannot find them on the West coast. Like they're, they're so rare to find, but he's like six, three two seventy five. Like his, his dimensions are already sort of ideal for it. He just, you know, I want to see him in the weight room, obviously, you know, in college strength and training program, but like, uh, you just looking, you know, listener, I'm serious. Watch his film 
you know, because the film is the only way you're going to see his dimensions and the way that he moves and particular like his arm length, like look at, look at his frame with his, his arms compared to his, to, to the way that his hips and torso are cut and like where his uh, fingertips fall uh, vis-a-vis his knees, like the, just the, the ability to get inside the guard of the offensive lineman and, prov- or more, maybe better way to put it is the other way around to prevent the offensive line from getting inside him uh you know inside his guard so that he can like jack that guy up and make a move um yeah i like i re- like yes like that guy's body type is like in many ways that guy's body type and is more difficult to find than athletic nose tackles like Jericho Johnson. And we just spend a lot of time talking about how rare and awesome Jericho. Yeah. Like, yeah. So here, here's, here's one thing before we, before we jump to the next one. Remember when we were lining up Brandon Dorless, it's linebacker. Mm -hmm. I want to see what happens when you have Zadavian Sims coming downhill from a linebacker spot. The guy played tight end. Like he's got the athleticism yeah. to burn. So yeah, which like guys who play tight end, like that type of body, like listener, like yeah, that's that 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 framing and proportion with the long arms to go up and catch balls. Like yes, that's what you that's what you're looking for on a four eye, um, for this type of system. Like yeah, uh, uh, Jackson Jones, Tion Gray, uh, uh, rounding up the guys who play up on the line of scrimmage. Um, the uh, uh, Jackson Jones is probably a bit of a prize because he needs to uh, bulk up a bit but like you know uh really great football iq like that's what you know uh you know watching his film like the way that he was diagnosing plays i really dug it yeah and so i don't know if you you said it outside linebacker yeah um, yeah lighter side for outside line he's only 215 pounds so he, he's got to add some weight and he's got the room for it at six three um <laughs> and he's he he reminds me of uh you know you're watching high school tape you know, every high school team has that guy that's just a missile mm-hmm. um you, you know whose tape he actually reminded me of uh justin flow not that he's on that same um you know athleticism and but just a missile to the ball carrier every play so uh and then tian gray uh you know six six two ninety five like you know my 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 goods like yeah um I, i'm actually not sure where exactly he's gonna play you know in oregon's defensive i'm actually looking forward to see you know uh come spring you know where they have him lined up they might wind up having him slim down a bit um i could i, I could actually see them moving him and playing him as like a strong side ob um mm-hmm. or they could have him bulk up uh, you know, play four eye. He's probably too tall to play nose. Um, but yeah, I could see him playing a couple different spots on the line. Um, uh, but yeah, like you just don't find <laughs> bodies that size in the way that you <laughs> imagine a f- imagine a four down front in three years with Jericho Johnson and Young Gray yeah, as right. your two defensive tackles. <laughs> yes. uh, what are you gonna do with that? <laughs> I-, I love these linebackers. I really love that they got Braden Platt out of Washington. Mm-hmm. Um, anytime and, you can steal something from you, Dub. And then how quickly Washington fan switched to, you know, we don't want them in, mm-hmm. um, which sounds like they they might be, uh, we don't want them anyway, about another guy too, in a second here. So, so my comparison for Braden was Troy die. Um, and remember Troy came in and was a starter as a freshman. And he was outside yeah. moved inside. If I remember correctly, uh, he was outside I think that's as a freshman. right. 
Yeah, yeah. he was outside as a freshman, inside. Uh, 6'2", 240. Um, <laughs> this is not someone that yeah. you want to get hit by. Uh, and in, in addition, here's another fun one. He ran track and was a state champion in the shot put. Yeah, you don't often see the thrower <laughs> linebacker. Yeah, especially not sprinter, you know, sprinter. He was a 100-200 sprinter um, and, uh, you know, and has that shot put. So he sheds he sheds blockers. He outruns backs and uh, you, you're not doing crossing routes on this kid. I think it was he in the Under Armour Bowl or one of the other all uh all-star games um there's some footage of him just nope the middle of the field is mine you know swatting balls away ruining people's days yeah just a lot of fun to watch and then last two in the linebacker core uh, kamar matuti and dylan williams um for whom there was a lot of fighting um in the in the recruiting battles over uh, that oregon locked them both down um both of them are just super fast like just exactly what you want for the mint defensive structure is one of the reasons why i was spending so much time like sort of recapitulating what that was in the previous segment um mm-hmm. the the you know because they're like look the, i mean those guys are like well you know 210 220 you know something mm-hmm. like that um they're not your your fire plug you know kind of guys they're your run laterally you know kind of guys they're your drop back into pass coverage kind of guys um but then they're super fast like I, my prediction for for them uh, or at least for Mas- masudi i my i see him becoming more of a uh, a safety a nickel because he's because of the speed and cover skills he shows See, I that's see exactly him. why I think he's going to play Will okay. in, in the mint structure. But that's a possibility. I actually think there's another guy in uh, on the uh, that we're going to talk about when we get to the defensive backs who's more likely to do that um, for the for basically the same reason. But like, yep. yeah, I mean, I, I, I could see it like if he if he slims instead, like that's a possibility. Yep. Um, let's talk about the defensive backs. Um, five guys here. Uh, well, uh, assuming let, let's talk about the guy that I'm referring to is uh, K- Kingston Lopa, um, mm-hmm. who sort of played. Uh, I mean, the film that you got from him was sort of a linebacker in his high school's structure. Um, yeah. But uh, he, Oregon's got him tabbed as a, as a you know star defensive back. Um, and, and I, I think that that's, you know, he's six, five, you know, like I don't. <laughs> I don't he is really three want to taller his, than everyone else on the, on the I don't field. really want him like, you know, trying to tackle like a, like a, a, a 230 pound running back. You know, I, I really want him more in the backfield. Um, but I definitely want him doing the, uh, you know, what I was, what, I, what we were talking about when we were talking about Tyshim Johnson, like, mm-hmm. yeah. And I want to see, I, I want to see him face guarding tight ends, you know, who were split out you know, releasing into the passing pattern, you know? Yeah. And, and 190 90 pounds, he's not super slight. I'd like to see him add a little bit more weight, but he, sure. if you watch his tape, because he played that hybrid kind of linebacker coverage position, he is a thumper in run support. Yeah. You know, he, it's not that he can't bring down the, the little guy, but the, the, you know, five, nine, 220 pound running back in college is going to be hitting <laughs> absorb that impact a lot better than the the one in high school um but no he's three inches taller than every other db on the roster except for one other one uh who we'll talk about here in a second that's sion laula laulea 
Yeah, the only JUCO that they brought in, um, mm -hmm. who, uh, he, as you note in your write-up, you know, was a three-star at a high school, but then you know he went he went the JUCO route, um, and uh, uh, he really blew up you know like physically and you know skill wise and became like the number one you know juco cornerback uh in the cycle um it was just fantastic at college of san mateo uh, which is a, a real powerhouse you know is, you know one of the perennial national title contenders you know mm -hmm. in the juco ranks um it's where uh, uh bennett williams uh uh Oregon got bennett williams from college of san mateo after he left illinois um uh uh yeah no i uh, uh Lea, that uh uh you know was just excellent for him and he's got you know ton of uh, of of experience too um i i actually was granted strong it was... possibility that he'd come in and play right away you know yeah. with, with uh you know it's gonna be a real fight to replace Kyrie jackson as starting as starting cornerback and and i you know even though he'd be new to the program like uh you know it's a pretty good chance you know i i i i'd give sioni laulea you know pretty decent chance of winning the job right away yeah and uh you know two years as a starter yes it was juco but he went out of high school and straight into a starting position so starting experience matters yeah when it comes to comparing with younger recruits um so jumping from him let's go uh let's talk about aaron flowers safety yeah the big safety Morning, texas um was one of the top performers in the under armor all-american bowl yep uh, oh, like almost all the, the, the under America, the, the under armor, all American bull was basically like the entire Oregon recruiting class. Like, <laughs> it was. It was, it was, I mean, it was, I think there was like seven guys. It was great. So, so flowers, uh, my comment is 220 pounds of mean in a six foot frame. Um, this guy is a freight train and run support. Um, but he has freakishly long arms, which seems to be a theme among everybody Oregon is picking up. Yeah, Oregon um, definitely has like an eye for like really toolsy players um, in that sense. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and he's played all three positions in the back end, safety, nickel, mm -hmm. and corner. So he could he could be plug and play uh, where, <laughs> wherever we need additional depth. Um, I like him. You know, what I see for him in a year or two is – the exact same things we saw where Tai Sheen was, was undersized for that kind of uh, run support safety, the nickel, mm -hmm. the uh, like a slot corner. Like I mean, they were effectively corner. asking him to play slot corner, even though yeah. that's not the label that would show up on, you no. know, on the two deep, but like, that's what they were asking him to do. And, and yeah, you know, I not could what see Demetrius Martin would, would would want. You know, for his like the like Demetrius Martin's ideal body type is much taller. Yeah, which we'll see when we talk about the other recruits. But go ahead. Yeah, I I could see him succeeding in the places where Taishim failed, but then maybe struggling a little bit. So, uh, like a uh, a boundary safety, uh, or or yeah. yeah. Someone who's coming down in run support, I see him doing. Yeah, I was. Yeah, things. I was thinking boundary safety too. Um, yeah. for for Aaron Flowers. Let's talk about the corners. Uh, uh Dakota Fields and uh, Ifi Obadegwu. Um, I, I think these guys both look just like prototypical Demetrius Martin. I've been studying Demetrius Martin for years now, and he was at Arizona and UCLA, <laughs> uh, and Colorado, and now to Oregon. I think he's the best. Uh, cornerbacks. I, I, well, I was going to say the best cornerbacks coach in the Pac-12, but that doesn't exist anymore. Uh, 
<laughs> like I, I, I think he might be one of the best, you know, cornerbacks coaches in the country. Um, and he definitely has a type, uh, in, in terms of like the type of, you know, the body type that mm-hmm. he wants out of cornerbacks. And as soon as I got what turned on the film that you, you dug up for these guys, I was just like, yup, those are, you know, coach meat corners. <laughs> yep. Tall, you know, he's six, 285 pounds, not just tall, but the fluidity of their hips. Yeah. Like, yeah. Um, he's also a track star, so he's got the speed and we definitely love speed in our back end. Um, but he's, you know, the athleticism, he's going to take away contested balls. You know, he's, he's one of those guys we saw it this year, especially against Washington. Um, you know, they had NFL caliber receivers that, you know, sometimes would push off and it wouldn't get called, but those contested balls, they just had the advantage over, over the corners. And I don't see that being an advantage for the next few years with, with the corners we have coming in. Um, you know, we, we talked about the top performers. If he was the other top performer, you know, uh, ended, I think he ended the game with a pick six, like ended the uh, all-star game with a pick six. Uh, I think that, I think that's right. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, six, 185 pounds, you know, coming all the way from Baltimore, Maryland. Um, you know, he can keep, he's going to keep up with receivers and coverage. He's, he's still going to be a hitter. Um, but he, he actually has the longest arms among all corners. He has a six, eight wingspan. I know that is uh, like, that anytime is a you're seeing a wingspan that's bigger door. than his height. Yeah. <laughs> that, that is a single car garage door. Um, yeah. do, do not throw near the man. Or actually, if you're an opposing offense, do throw near this man. Cause we'd love yeah, to have please, that ball. Please. All right. I think your uh, fuzzy alarm clock is telling us it's time to wrap it up. Oh, uh, you hear here. him growling at me. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you got any parting words of wisdom first, Kevin? Um, Dan Lanning is not going anywhere. Anyone who turns down Alabama, uh, you know, and all of the truckload of money that that go comes with is bought into the system. And I am going to take that man fishing with his kids this summer. So, uh, that sounds like a fun trip. Uh, Dan, tell me which weekend. It, it definitely takes a lot of courage and uh, moral fortitude to turn down Alabama, uh, which not everybody and turning it into a recruiting pitch. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, I, I mean, the other way to, to think about it is this is, you know, it, if you if you say no to Alabama, exactly what job is he going to say yes to that comes knocking Pittsburgh Steelers in a year or two? <laughs> Uh, it's, it's hard to imagine him jumping, jumping to any other college. Yeah. Um, you know, as he says, uh, the, the, the grass is not always greener. In fact, it's pretty damn green in Eugene. Oh, it does does rain a lot in Eugene, of course, is one of the reasons for that, but it never rains on this podcast.